Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, church, what an exciting day today. People joining the family, people sharing their testimony of salvation today. It's a good day to celebrate the family of God. Amen. I want you to grab your Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians. We'll be there in just a moment. But before we do, I want to lead us in prayer as we hear from God's Word today. Father, I thank you for uh, your spirit that's been here. As Pastor Edgar shared a moment ago, we are here to wait on you today. We're asking that you touch and fill us fresh and new today. So, Lord, as we hear from your word, I pray that it will be more than just learning. It will be more than just knowledge that goes into our brain, but you will transform us. Teach us to apply the information that you pour into our heart and allow it to transform us. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning I want us to start a new series called Growing Deeper. I believe God is calling us to put roots deep down into Him that will give us strength. Roots as individuals, roots as a body of believers together. We're going to walk through the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, we're still on our 40-day journey. If you've been reading through the New Testament with us, I want to encourage you to keep reading. Uh, you remember the, the motto of this. If you're not on the 40-day plan anymore, you're on the 47-day or 48 or 49, that's okay. You keep reading. If you haven't started yet, that's okay. You just start. Uh, and you just dive in with us. But as we as a church dive into God's Word together, over the next eight weeks, this week and seven more weeks, we're going to look at the book of 1 Corinthians. God has some stretching for us. Now, there's, there's a couple opening, uh, I guess, words of caution. If today you came hoping to hear just a cute, nice little talk and hear some good musicians uh, to tickle your ears, um, you're, you're going to be very disappointed today. I'm not trying to disappoint you, but you're going to be disappointed. Over the next seven weeks, if you just want to hear a, a neat little talk that, that wraps it up in a bow, you, you may be aggravated. And that's okay. I love you, uh, and you can learn to love me, and we can be aggravated together. That's all right. But I just want to prepare you, over the next, uh, today and seven more weeks, we are going to go all the way through the book of 1 Corinthians together, asking God to teach us what he was showing to that church in Corinth, and what does that mean for us today. There's some amazing things throughout this book that you don't want to miss. But I want to challenge you to make a decision now, before we even start the study, to do a couple things with me. One... I want to challenge you on purpose to make a decision that you're not going to miss any of the next number of weeks. Now, you may have something that's beyond your control. I understand that. But everything within your control, if you would say, you know what, Lord, I want to commit, not for Pastor Brady's sake, not for Grace Point's sake. I want to commit, Lord, to you that I want to be here hearing your word presented from 1 Corinthians over the next seven weeks. Weeks. I don't want to miss any. Because see what happens, the Lord is going to build one upon another, upon another, upon another in this book. It's awesome. The other challenge I want to throw out to you at the beginning is when you enter in, don't come in, especially at the teaching time, but any of the worship time, don't come in as a spectator to sit back and say, well, we'll see what they got on the docket today. Because this, this will become very aggravating to you. I'm, just, I'm warning you. It's a warning. I told you it's a warning. It'll be very aggravating to you over the next number of weeks if we don't change and say, you know what, I'm coming in as a student of the Word. I'm coming in as a participant of this time of worship. And the third thing uh, I, I tease often about if you're too cool to take notes, you don't like to take notes, have your neighbor take for you. I want to challenge you just to try for the next number of weeks 
to allow the Lord to jog your memory as you jot down some things he's speaking to you. So if you would be willing to do that, pull that out, and we'll dive through that together. We really need to be deepened as individuals and as a church body. We need to be more intentional with our spiritual maturity. I like what A.W. Tozer says, and he puts it this way. In our culture today, our churches are filled with soft-breed Christians. Soft-breed Christians who require a constant diet of fun and entertainment in order to keep them coming back. I like how he says that. That may not be you specifically. It it may not be a characterization of Grace Point. I don't believe that's the type of people we are, but it's amazing how easy society challenges us to slip back into that concept. We want to be challenged, but we're not so sure we want to be changed. We want to be fed, but let's be honest, we like that food served to us. We don't want to do any digging out for that food. We want to have unity in the church as long as everybody unites around what I think. Sometimes we want more entertainment than we want preaching, if we're honest. We want to serve as long as I am appreciated and everybody knows what I did. We want to worship God through music as long as it's the style and tempo and tone and flair and volume that I like. We want the Holy Spirit to lead our services as long as he doesn't make me late for lunch. We want the Bible to be taught in church as long as it's something that I'm interested in and doesn't make me uncomfortable. See, Paul is challenging us as he challenges the church in Corinth to go to a deeper level with Christ. It's a level of spiritual maturity. And as I look forward to joining you over these next seven weeks together as we dive into this book, I want us to be open to what God has for us. As we start out, we're going to look at chapters 1 through 4 today, and uh, obviously we won't be able to go verse by verse through every one, but we're going to go concept through concept in this book. As we start, we need to see that Corinth is this place that Paul was planting a church. It's a town. It's a city. It was on his second missionary journey. He spent a year and a half there in Corinth planting this church. It was significantly longer than most of his church plant times, and he spent more time there because following Jesus was very difficult in the city of Corinth. There was tons and tons of immorality. Three years after he planted this church, he found himself in Ephesus. He's planting another church now, and he begins to get all kinds of information back on how things are going in Corinth. He's getting word that there's challenges, there's problems, there's things coming up in the church that are not good. And in fact, we're even led to believe that there is letters written to him asking specific questions. And the book we have in 1 Corinthians really is a response. It's the other part of the phone conversation to what they have been asking him and to the challenges that's been brought to his attention. 1 Corinthians is written to address these problems and he tackles a lot of different issues. As we study through this book, you'll read and see that there's a whole variety of things that he talks about. Issues ranging from a woman's role in worship to spiritual gifts. And and I want to give you a heads up, parents. Next week, Paul is going to be talking to us in chapter 5 and beyond about the topic of sex. He's going to be talking to us very specifically and directly about that issue. So next week's service sermon will be PG-13. And so I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider if you'd like your children to be a part of that or not. And and you, uh, you make that decision how you would like that to take place. There's no extracurricular uh, things going on. It's just straight from God's Word. I don't want you to worry about that PG-13 rating. But that's the topic we're going to talk about because God's Word is very specific and very clear on that. 
There's a host of other things that Paul talks about, but he gives very clear instruction. And in these first four chapters, he talks about the issue of unity. That's what I want us to look at today. Look at verse 2 of chapter 1. We see that he's not just writing to the church in Corinth, though he's specifically addressing their concerns. Look what he says. To all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody here call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Anybody believe in Jesus as your Savior? Anybody hate voting in church? All right. I, I, I can see your face. Every person who says, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my Savior, this is written to you as well. This is a teaching for all of the church. Paul writes, and he wants us to see that it's for a broader community. The second thing we've got to catch here is, whenever Paul is writing, he writes for a specific reason and a broad reason. We see this as a corporate application. He's talking to the church as a whole, to the whole family, to the whole body, to the whole church. It's this corporate application. But he's also talking about a personal application. And so as we walk through this, Paul will be talking over the next number of weeks about what the church should look like. And it's easy to fall into a position and say, well, yeah, that's what the church needs to do. But guess what? You and I are the church. And one of the challenges I want you to think about is God may be asking you for your obedience personally to allow the collective obedience to be possible. If we want to have unity in the church, there has to be a spirit of unity as individuals in our obedience. It's a corporate and a personal application. What is it that I need to do, Lord? What changes, what challenges do you bring to me that would cause me to be more obedient and following you so my church family can be more obedient. In verse 10, Paul introduces the first of of many suggestions to grow deeper spiritually, but he suggests this call to unity. Look at verse 10 in Paul's appeal. He says, I appeal to you brothers. He's using the language of family. He's beginning to set the tone for how he's going to teach. He says, I appeal to you brothers in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that all of you Argue with one another. That all of you get mad at one another. That all of you get bent out of shape with one another. Is that what he said? No, look at your Bible. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you would agree with one another. So that there may be no divisions among you, that you may be perfectly united in mind and in thought. Paul is challenging them on an area of division, discord, disunity. He says, I'm calling you to be unified. Now, what are these divisions in the church that they're looking at? We'll see a bunch of them throughout 1 Corinthians, but he focuses in here in these first four chapters on what is causing this division problem. It's this Playing the game of, I want what I want. I like this preacher better. I like this leader better. I like doing things this way. And so, in verse 12, he kind of defines this division. Look in your Bible at verse 12. What I mean is this, and he's talking about division. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Now, in these verses, Paul is listing these four areas of division. And and let's look at this. You may want to take some notes on these specific areas. 
The first of these were those who said they would follow Paul. Now, most likely, this was a group of people who were Gentiles who came to trust in Jesus. They did not have the Jewish traditional background. And so when others talked about the customs and the religious rules and rituals that they would hang on to, they didn't have that in their background. They didn't emphasize that very much. They were new to faith. And so that was the crew that followed Paul. The second group were those who followed Apollos. Apollos was known more as an intellectual. He attracted people who were intellectual types. He was a great order, a great teacher, a great speaker. And, and those who loved great intellect followed Apollos. We see there's a third group, those who follow Cephas. Now, Cephas was really a disciple of Peter. His name actually would, would come close to meaning uh, Peter. And this group was probably made up of, of those who came from a Jewish background. They were followers of, of God And then they came to trust in Jesus Christ. And so they had a whole history and tradition of following God. And they they loved to continue to practice that tradition of worshiping God in their own rituals in religious sacred traditions. The fourth category or group was those who said, I follow Christ. And when you read about this, you think, well, that's that's the good group. I want to be in that. I mean, how do you go wrong there? And. And I think I could see how that would be a thought, but I really believe what Paul is saying is this was a divisive group. Because it was a group of people who were going around the city there in Corinth, and they were saying, I don't follow Paul, I follow Jesus. I don't need no Paul. I don't need Apollos, I don't need him, I follow Jesus. I don't need Cephas, I don't need them, I I follow Jesus, I don't need the church. I just want to pause right here because it's easy for us to study this and go, wow, those people all that long time ago, they were really messed up and what a bad city and what a wicked world. But this sounds a lot like us today. How many times do we have preferences and thoughts about way things should be and and our background determines what we feel like is right? And, you know, there's people like that in the church world today who would say, you know what? I I don't need a church. I don't need a pastor. I don't need anybody telling me anything. I just follow Jesus. I don't need spiritual authority in my life. I don't need a brother or sister to, to sharpen me in the things of the Lord. I, I just follow Jesus. It's, it was a spirit of rebellion. It was a spirit of preference over what leader they wanted to follow. So what does Paul do? He wants them to be united. You've got these four groups and division. How does he bring them together? Well, let's first look at what he doesn't do. He doesn't give an argument of which leader they should follow. He doesn't give an argument on how his thoughts were the best. I mean, he's one of these people talked about. It'd be pretty easy to say, well, stop with all this discord, just follow me. He didn't say that. That's not what he did. He challenges them to focus in on Jesus. Write that in. That's, that's the first thing I want you to catch here. To challenge is to focus on Jesus. When division comes in and there's all these preferences flying around he says let's focus on what we have in common together not what we have in difference let's allow our common need for grace in jesus christ to unite us together not focus on what is different look at first chapter 13th verse of first corinthians is it christ is christ divided Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? In other words, Paul is saying, it's not about me. It's not about Apollos. It's not about Cephas. If there's any good things that's been happening, it's been in Jesus. 
And that's what the church should look like. It should look like a group of people who come together. They talk different. They smell different. They don't look the same. They don't make the same amount of money. In fact, they may not have anything in common together except their common need for Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Amen? See, God calls us to, to have unity in the church. In a minute, we're going to talk about being uniform. He didn't call us to all be uniform. And we're going to have unity together. Look at chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Paul here addresses that he doesn't want them all to think alike on these secondary issues. He wants them to get focused in on Jesus. Verse 1 of chapter 2. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquent or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Paul is saying, listen, if there's anything good happening here, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Let's focus in on what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is doing. Unity in the church. It's much different than just unifying in other areas of life. You could join a country club, and it may appear to have unity in this particular group or club. Often they're the same income bracket. Often they have the same interests. Often they have the same ideas or thoughts, and that's good, and you can have some some common ground there. There's nothing wrong with having common ground there, but that's not the picture of the church. It's not that everybody acts exactly the same way in their preferences and in their, their, their own style, but they allow the unity to come through their great need in Jesus. Paul was saying, do you need something more than Jesus to unite you? Why can't you be united over the greatest thing that's ever happened in your life? That's how great Jesus is. Now let's just pause here for a second. We're in danger again of going, okay, Pastor Brady, I'm trying to track with you here, and we're going through 1 Corinthians, and you scared me, and you told me that my ears aren't going to be tickled the next seven weeks. I'm still kind of upset about that. Well, let's just dial back for a minute and, and ask ourselves: is this so foreign to us? Is the concept of preferences and, and our own opinions so foreign to us? Absolutely not. In every area of your life, you have an opinion about something. You say, well, I'm not really opinionated. Well, you're opinionated that you don't have to have an opinion. And people who have an opinion, you don't like them because they know too much. And you just want to be easygoing. That's your own opinion. You have your opinion. You can just take things like football. We, in this room, if I would ask you who you cheer for, there'd be some people who would say OSU. There'd be some people who would say Michigan. And we have a prayer service for you after in room 32. <laughs> there'd be some people here who, who would cheer for Notre Dame. And it would have all different opinions. And it's amazing how deep-rooted our opinions over something like sports can go. My wife, Carrie, uh, was a theater director when we lived in Ohio. And, and when she first started at that school teaching theater, uh, she was making the, the calendar out for the, the schedule of plays. And her opening night for the very first musical happened to be on this particular Saturday. And the principal came to her and said, Carrie, that date's not going to work. And she says, well, yeah, it is. The, the room is open, and that's what I'm going to have. He says, well, no, there's going to be a conflict. She said, what's the conflict? He said, well, there's a football game that happens. And she said, oh, this is culture. People will come. They'll come. And so she held that play on the time that she chose. And what she didn't realize is she had planned that on the OSU-Michigan game day. And so four parents and my wife came to see these kids who uh, performed during the game. 
I mean, we have opinions, and there's all kinds of things, and you can't do anything over the OSU-Michigan game. You can't do anything over the Colts game. You can't do anything in that particular time, because that's what my opinion is. You have all kinds of thoughts. Now, we have that in, if you're not a sports person, you have that in music. There's some of you in this room that love classical music. There's some that love jazz. There's some that love country music, and I'm trying to understand you. There's some people in here that love rock. There's some people in here who love rap. There's some people who love R&B. And there's some people who just want it quiet. I don't want music at all. We have opinions. We have preferences. We have all kinds of things. And that is okay. There's people in this room who we have all kinds of differences about our religious background. We have some that came from a Catholic background growing up. Some that came from a Baptist background. Some that came from an unchurched background. Your family didn't go to church. They didn't know Jesus, and that was your background. We have some that grew up in the Church of the Nazarene. We have some that have a Wesleyan background. We have some that have a Pentecostal background. There's all kinds of different backgrounds. And, And the point of this is, this should not seem so foreign or strange to us. This is where we live. You have an opinion. You have a background. You have a preference. Now, I want to just ask you to humor me for a minute. It's one of these simple things that help a simple mind like mine, but yours is probably much more complex, so just help us and lend your much more higher brain than mine for the rest of us common folk. Now, on the count of three, I want you just to pick the sports team that you root for whether it's college or pro, whoever it is. In just a second, I want you to shout out that name. Now, we're allowed to do this in church. I called headquarters. They said, it's okay. We can do this. So not yet. Just think about it. What sports team you're going to call out? It may be OSU. It may be Michigan. It may be Colts. It may be the Denver Broncos. And if that, we have reserved seating in the front row for you. You're, you're amazing. All right. On the count of three. One. Shout it out. Two. Three. Who's your team? Exactly. I can't understand any of you. It's muddy. It's nasty. But if we would all take a line from what Paul is talking about and say, hey, this is what unites us in the church. It's not to shout out the things we have differences on, but we're going to shout out our common need for Jesus. Now, I know this is simple, but just help me. On the count of three, I want you to just shout out the name of Jesus. One, two, three. Not only can you understand it, it, it resonates in your, in your chest, in your body, and, and you can feel that call as a church family. Now, notice something here. Write this in in your outline. When Paul was talking about these divisions that were taking place in Corinth, what divided them wasn't a biblical, write that in, a biblical issue. It was a matter of preference. It wasn't a biblical issue. It was a matter of preference. That's what divided them. Had it been a biblical issue, Paul would not have pleaded for unity. We're going to talk about that the next couple of weeks. There's all kinds of things where where they were all over the map in, in, in immorality. He didn't say, hey, let's be unified. Let's let everybody do what they want to do. Let's compromise. No. When the Bible speaks, he spoke clearly. When when God spoke, they spoke clearly. But these are things that the Bible was not clearly speaking about. These were preferences. These were their own opinions. Unity should never come at the sacrifice of doctrinal purity. Unity should never come at the sacrifice of biblical truth. But we do have preferences that divide us deeply. Now, we we play some tricks with this. We, We play some tricks by trying to attach or pin the tail on one of these preferences with a couple key scriptures. But if we're honest, scripture doesn't really say this is the only way in some areas. 
There was a study done of over 400 churches just a few years back, and they were trying to figure out what are the, the top common things that divide churches, that brings division in a church. The number one most divisive issue across all these 400 churches, number one, hands down, was the music style. It was amazing how people could pin all kinds of verses on there, what it should be on one way or another and all this. And, and uh, they often didn't want to relinquish the fact that that may not be a biblical issue. That may not be an issue of God's truth. It's a preference and it's an opinion. There's nothing wrong with a preference. There's nothing wrong with an opinion. But that is not what Paul is talking about. The second most common thing in our day is the minister's leadership style. Cause division, how the minister should lead, what his style should be. The third most divisive issue in churches in our time is how resources should be spent. Not on issues of morality and, and taking care of God's money. It's how we deploy that, how it actually gets spent is the third most common division in the church. The fourth, it's amazing, I mean, it, it ranked up there number four, major, major problem in the church is how the church should be decorated. I'm glad that made the list. The, the, the fifth one, I mean, just major division in the church across this study, is the proper worship attire that should be worn to attend church. It's amazing the things that would divide us. Now, in that last one, it's not talking about modesty. If you want to know the dress code policy that I lobby for here, I don't care what you wear, just wear enough of it. <laughs> wear whatever you want. The Bible talks about modesty. The Bible talks about not being a stumbling block to somebody else. I have a hard time finding where the Bible tells me what color to wear. I have a hard time finding what the Bible tells me of what particular article of clothing it should look like. You wear what you want to, just wear enough of it. But that's another sermon. I'll talk about that later. Get myself in trouble all over the place today. <laughs> oh, where are we at? Fort Wayne. Here we go. One of the marks of maturity in a church is when they have unity. Not being uniform, when you go to a church body and everybody looks the same, they all talk exactly the same, they're all the same age. I don't know if you've ever worshipped in a church, Grace Point is not this way, where everybody is in the same five to eight year age bracket. It's weird. Weird things begin to grow on a community when you're all only within one age generation. You begin to get selfish, you begin to get carnal you begin to think that your opinion is the only way to do things because that's what we all agree that we like and god is not calling us to have uniformity he's calling us to be unified and so the very nature to have unity you have to have diversity if you have an opinion that not many people like i'm thrilled you're here i need you here we need you here because there is no testimony don't miss this oh this is good there is no testimony to a watching world of people who already look like each other who already talk like each other who already agree on every single thing right down to what team to root for and then they love each other well of course you should you're all the same but what kind of testimony does a body of believers have that there's like very little in common Except that they need and love and have been rescued by Jesus. There is a testimony to a watching world the way we love each other and treat each other. And you know what? I still have my opinion. I still have my thoughts. But I'm going to put Jesus first. Oh, that's good. That's good. Is Jesus enough? Now, if you're taking notes, turn it over to the back side. The second thing that Paul wants us to catch is not just to focus on Jesus. He says it's not about Paul, it's not about Apollos, it's not about Cephas, it's not about North Campus, it's not about South Campus, it's not about your preference. It's about Jesus. Focus on him. And the second thing is stand on God's wisdom. Stand on God's wisdom. 
Look at what he says in verse 13. This is what we speak. Not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. This is an argument of why we read the Bible together. You know what? When you talk to your friend, to your neighbor, when you want to bring correction to them, is it ever cross your mind if what you're saying is it biblical? It is of, of, of little consequence for me to tell you all of my preferences and my opinions. I mean, I've got a good lecture on why the Denver Broncos are the best and the worst team in the world, but you should like them. But what power does that have? But if I talk to you about what God's Word says, it's not me, it's God. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through me. Now, I can be a flawed individual. I'm not saying that I get it right every time or you get it right every time. But the pattern of a mature church, of a mature believer, of a growing and vibrant church and a growing and vibrant believer is somebody who says, I'm going to promote unity by focusing on Jesus and I'm going to stand on God's wisdom, not my own silly preferences. Now, did I say you shouldn't have a preference? No, of course you have a preference. Of course you order your pizza with ham and green olives, because that's the best way to have pizza. That's my preference. It's okay to have a preference, but catch what Paul is saying. Grow up, church, he says. Focus on Jesus. Stand on God's wisdom, not your own. Division comes when we start saying more about what we want than about what the Bible says. So in this church... We're going to continue in a rich heritage of leadership that says this church is a Bible-based church. When the Bible is very clear, we're going to be very clear. When the Bible is, is not clear and we give liberty, we're going to give liberty to one another. We're going to focus in on Jesus and what God's Word says. I think sometimes, though, we come into a gathering like this, and we're just looking to be mad at something or somebody else. We're just looking to kind of catch somebody doing something we don't like it reminds me of that game we played when we were, when we were kids the slug bug game i don't know if you ever played that remember it made a it made a long road trip wonderfully terrifying all in once i probably played it wrong but this is how i remember playing it is you're driving along and if you see a volkswagen beetle or a volkswagen bus you get like a couple of hits or whatever uh if you're the first one to see it you call it out and you can punch the person next to you in the arm really hard it's not a really intellectual game. I don't know why. It's probably some barbaric thing that I picked up. I don't know why. But maybe you play this in your family. Now, help me out. Anybody ever heard of that or played that game before? Okay. You know what I'm talking about. I think this is what we do in church. We come into worship and we're just looking and waiting to see. I'm going to punch you, Ash. I just can't wait to die. I gotcha. And then we, we approach it that way. And I'm not focusing it on God. I'm not focusing on what he's doing in my life. And I'm looking for every reason to, ah, slug bug, wham, gotcha. But Paul says, stop that. What if you stopped focusing in on what preference or difference you had? Focus on Jesus. Stand on God's word. And when you see somebody, don't shout out what, how you have a different preference. Shout out Jesus and allow it to be so unified and so clear that a watching world sees it. Oh, my goodness. The final thought. Growing in a spirit of humility is what Paul tells us to do. The third and final thing. In verse 5 through 7 of chapter 3, here's what Paul says. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. It's because of what God has done. And so I'm going to have a spirit of humility. Paul led by saying, hey, listen. 
Many of you have followed me. Many of you think I should stand up and just kind of wave my rights around in the church of what's being planted. And he chose to downplay himself and to lift up Jesus. That's spiritual maturity. He said, when you don't do that, it's pride. And this is a sin that we don't like to call a sin. It's, it's a Christian oops, but it's a sin, a pride. Paul hits it huge in these first four chapters. I'm going to read them real fast. It's in your outline. Chapter 1, verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. One thirty-one. therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. 3, verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives growth. 3.21, so let no one boast in men. Come on, Paul, you're repeating yourself. Chapter 4, 6 and 7, that no, none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. If then you received it, if you got it from God, then why do you boast as if you didn't receive it, as if you didn't get it from God? It's not yours anyway. See, pride does some things to us. Pride makes me selfish. Write that in. It's lifting up what I want over what someone else wants, and it stops my spiritual growth. It stunts my growth. I can't go deep with him. Pride not only is selfish, pride makes me argumentative. Pride makes me argumentative. Proverbs 13.10 says, pride only breeds quarrels. It's not about just being right or wrong. It's about winning. I don't like that one. I wish that wasn't in there. That's a struggle for me. I love to win. If we play games, I play to win. I will love you. I will pray for you. I will be your pastor. If we play Monopoly, you're on your own. I am not going to help you. I see no reason to give you compassion and let you win in a game. I'm playing, and I'm going to play to win. There's a competitive nature in my spirit. That's the way I'm wired. But you know what? There's some value, I guess, or whatever. But when that plays over the way you live your life, that is horrible. And you can begin to argue and have pride, and pretty soon it's not about what's right or wrong. It's about, I'm going to win this argument. I'm not going to look bad. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's pride. And he says, it kills the spiritual growth of a church and of an individual. Pride makes me selfish, argumentative. It makes me opinionated. And right about now, if you're one who sometimes struggles with this, you're feeling it now. It makes me think that my way is the best. It makes me think that things should go a certain way. It makes me think that others need to know what I think. There's nothing wrong with having an opinion, but when I am opinionated, and that's what drives me, Pride is coming out. Pride makes me defensive. Now this one we like to hide behind. We see this as a victim. When someone disagrees with me, even on the littlest thing, I take it so personal. They didn't like my idea. They hate me. I knew they hated me. I knew it. They, 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 they contradicted my statement and I can't believe it. I, I don't have to take that from them. I'm not going to listen to that. This was my idea. It was my thought. I can't believe It's that defensiveness. That's pride coming up. Paul says it squelches outgrowth. Finally, pride makes me prejudice. It makes me intolerant of others who are not like me. It makes me want to be around people who just do things the way I want them to do it. They act like the way I act. They look the way I look. They smell the way I smell. They, they talk the way I talk. And it makes me prejudice. And that is a sin. So Paul demonstrates the spirit of humility. So church, here's our landing spot. Paul is challenging us to grow deeper, to, to grow up in the things of God. He says, focus on Jesus. 
shout out the common need for Jesus, stand on God's wisdom, and grow in the spirit of humility. As we close this morning, I want to thank you. You have paid attention so well. A plus. Way to go. Unbelievable effort. But I think our response today is going to be similar to how God is going to challenge us in a response over the next number of weeks. I want us to allow God to prick our heart and ask us the tough question to see, am I being obedient so my church can be obedient? We all want a church that's unified. Rarely do we want to talk about, is there any change in me that is required for my church to be unified? Let's pray together and ask the Holy Spirit to convict us. Father, I thank you for your word. It's been faithful and true today. And I thank you for my brothers and sisters who have have given of their mind and their heart so well in worship today. I pray your word will come back with tremendous fruit today. That you will put your thumb on our back and, and challenge us, Father. If there's areas where we need to repent, if there's areas that we need to let go of, there are things that we are hanging on to that prevent spiritual roots growing deep as individuals or our church. Remind us how to focus in on you. Remind us how to see the good in somebody else because they have found salvation in Jesus, and so have I. And Lord, I pray that's what we shout out. Lord, I pray that you'll convict us this week whenever we think of the slug bug game, looking for someone to be mad at, that they didn't agree with our opinion, our thought. And Lord, you didn't ask us to all think the same. It's okay to have different opinions, but Lord, teach us what it means to have unity even in the middle of different opinions. Lord, help us stand on your wisdom today. Not our own thoughts, but on your wisdom. Give us a spirit of humility. Give us a spirit to show an example to those around us that we are going to give you all the glory and praise. In your powerful name, I pray. Amen.